back hit a linebacker remember there's an mm -hmm. indoor he hit oh yeah he killed him too oh yeah no i swear immediately black strap yeah black stripe removed i, I thought raekwon died i thought like, it was sec. one of the biggest collisions sec. i've ever seen the glory days podcast dreams and nightmares with joshua perry and evan spencer hosted by chris caldwell all right guys before we start the show a reminder where you can find us on social media on Twitter at Glory Days Pod, that's all one word at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod, and on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Welcome back to part two of episode two. Let's jump right in and get deep into this new recruiting class. National Letter of Intent Day comes on February fifth, and to nobody's surprise, the Buckeyes sign a top ten class, coming in at number seven according to ESPN's rankings. And to give the listeners an idea of the competitive landscape at the time, once again, according to ESPN, seven out of the top nine teams are from the SEC. Number one is Alabama. Number two is LSU. Number three, we're going to leave open for a second. Number four is Texas A&M. Number five, Tennessee. Number six, Florida. Number seven, Ohio State. Number eight, Auburn. Number nine, Georgia. Can you guess, besides Ohio State, who the non-SEC school is in the top nine. This is a how far the mighty have fallen answer. Uh, uh, the Trojans. No. Joshua. It's on the sheet. So oh, sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to <laughs> cheat. But you talk about how far the mighty have fallen indeed. The Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were uh, – they were coming off a national title, weren't they? Yeah, they were. James yeah. Winston. So yeah. that that makes sense yeah. right there. Like where, like, where are they now? Yeah, they've got like three head coaches since then, too. Yeah, bad deal. And looking at the OSU class, it's pretty stout, as it's going to be 23 players signed that day, but an astounding 10 are going to be drafted in the NFL, including Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore in the first round, and Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, Jamarco Jones, Terry McLaurin, Raycon McMillan, Sean Nuremberger, and Curtis Samuel in subsequent rounds. It begs the question, what do you guys see as Urban's secret formula for recruiting? What do I see as a secret formula? Success, right? Like at the end of the day, right, why do people go to Alabama? Why do folks want to in the Midwest who want to stay home, want to go home? Why do they want to come to Ohio State and you know, compete in the Big Ten? Because at the end of the day, they know if they understand their athletic abilities enough that like, listen, I know that the only way for me to get to the league, be in the first round, et cetera, is to, to go against the best, right? If I'm a DB and I'm not wanting to go against Amari Cooper or a Devin Smith every day, like, why would I not, you know, why, why would I assume any differently, right? So, like, first, starting there is, I mean, I think that's really the, the main draw is that, like, you get to compete against the best to pull the best out of yourself so that you can go do the things you saw Malik Cooker, you saw Devin Smith, you saw Marshawn Lattimore and all these other guys go do in the league, right? We can get you there, but it's going to be through hard work and through going against other guys that are the best at their craft as well. It's really interesting because I, I agree with you 100%. Like, I think the, the resume sells itself. Um, but the flip side of that, too, is Urban's built that resume because he's a systems guy. You know, everything we talked about, the way that he does the offseason with Mickey Marotti, it's very intentional. It came off of a system. I believe the way that he came in and blew up the program doing all that outside stuff, I believe that was based off of a system 
talked about E plus R equals O. We talked about 1080-10. Those are two philosophies, two systems that he's implemented. And I think recruiting is the same way, all the way down to Urban knowing what he wants to evaluate in terms of physical attributes and players and uh, also personality traits. And then Mark Pantone being able to dissect that. And then um, also having a little bit of veto power from the position coaches as well to where if you know one of their guys isn't high up on the list, he can pound the table, say, coach, I think you're making a mistake. And if he pleads his case, he gets his guy. But Urban himself said during his introductory press conference, the best recruiters are the players. And that can be taken a multiple ways. Again, the success of the players. But with that as a backdrop, can you educate the listeners to what your role was, the players, in the recruitment of players to Ohio State? Like, Not what end you, up what? on ESPN yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of a, a recruiting trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. 100% the goal. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but no, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's more or less about just like showing the camaraderie of the teammates, right? Yeah. So us all, let's get out of the woody. Let's go do something that is far from, you yeah. know, putting the scarlet and gray on and, and, go, and going out and competing every day. Uh, now, a lot of that entails being able to go see the town, go see other genders, and and and, and Charlie ha- Bear and and have fun in Charlie, Charlie Bear. Bear. Actually, mine was Big Bar, not Charlie Bear, to be to believe it or not. But I got I got I'm gonna cut you off real quick. <laughs> I got mixed up with um, Steve Miller, Duran Grant, and Jeremy Jeez. Cash on my official. <laughs> so we were all kind of obscure places, yeah. like you know, those yeah. guys were my uh, my host. Didn't make it through the night, so ah. Philly, Philly Brown ended up becoming my host towards the end. But I'll, I'll use the little cloak and dagger so that person doesn't get embarrassed. Uh, I gotta ask you who it is when yes, we're done we, with this. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. it. Josh was writing a note. Uh, but when you're talking to these potential teammates about life on campus, and I keep coming back to these are 17-year-olds, and most likely they're a big fish at their schools, and some of them swim in a really small pond. Did any of them kind of bring an attitude when they came to visit on campus? And and how would you deal with something like that? Yeah, I mean, they yes, that happens. And and I would say, like, when you look at folks who struggle the most, I mean, I, I, I hate to do this in a negative way, but, like, Tate Martell strikes me as somebody who's yep. got a very strong ego yep. and came into an environment to where he had to compete for it and didn't get exactly what he wanted. And then that ego started taking control of some of his decisions. Yeah. So, like, when you look at guys, like, you know, it, relative to his example or whatever that fit themselves in that mold, it's it's tough because, you know, it's tough for them to swallow the fact that, hey, I have to humble myself. I have to shut up. I have to look worse than others so that I can learn how this Kool-Aid tastes, drink it, and then put my flavor on it. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. And that's the important part is that, like, when you get really strong programs with really good head coaches that have a system. The system is infallible. Like coach Meyer always said, well, if you're trying to do your own thing because you thought it worked and you got on ESPN in high school because your high school is a set. Well, great. Who gives a fuck? Like yeah. come here, play, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Play how we play and then put your own flavor on it. And that's essentially the deal. Like we're not saying that we have some system that's going to change who you are. That's going to this, we put guys in the league, we go compete for national championships. So drink the Kool-Aid, and then figure out a way to be yourself in it. And if you can't, then you might be, you know, you, you might be a dookie or something like that. A dookie. So, <laughs> you know, a dookie is not referring to poop. You know, <laughs> right. a, dookie, a dookie is a guy who is a good guy who just doesn't fit at Ohio State. So 
good guys go to Duke University. Okay. <laughs> That's where you end up. It's not a bad thing. You yeah. graduate with a great degree, play in the ACC. Yeah. You just, you weren't a Buckeye. You were a Dukie. Yeah. And they're honest down there. They tell yeah. you that we're, we're not <laughs> going to get you. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so soon, spra- soon spring practice is upon us, which means 15 supervised practices starting on March 4th and ending with the annual spring game on April 12th. But to educate the listeners, spring practice is not the first time you get together as a team since the bowl game. I mean, you're basically around your teammate and your coaches in an unofficial capacity all winter, right? Okay. This is just the first time you guys are putting on the pads and actually hitting each other, not biting each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So let's focus on 2014 in particular. You have two new defensive coaches. The team is coming off two consecutive losses. Evan, we know that you're rehabilitating an injury sustained in the Orange Bowl. And Joshua, this is your third spring practice with the team. What is different about this spring practice versus 2013 or 2012? It's your last one. Yeah. I mean, it was my last one. And it, I guess it feels weird to say that I was happy I didn't have to go through it, <laughs> to be honest. But, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I made it through one spring um practice season whatever you want to call it um that was my sophomore year or junior year my sophomore year jake stoneburner decided not to block um um, johnny simon and then we both fell like cracked my corcoid process which is a bone in my shoulder yeah shout out jake appreciate you dog no we're still (laughs) (laughs) but no i mean so you know i have a i guess a jaded memory and experience with it but ultimately it's you know hey let's let's shake some cobwebs off a little bit let's put some helmets on and you know, let's fly around a little bit. Let's watch us go through our scheme again, right? Let's try to make sure that there's no ball on the ground. Now it's not going to be perfect practice Friday type of intensity. But if you're always working that edge, once you get there, there's less work to do. Is there a little bit more of an edge that year, though, because you're coming off two losses? You got two new coaches. You're trying to learn the system. Is yeah. there more of an Oh, there was know, definitely less a defensive. Patience. Like I'd say like your practices yeah. were, were more yes. intense than other spring practices from a team perspective because of that. 100%. I, there was so much playing catch up to do from a scheme standpoint because everything we were doing was so different than how we were doing it before. And so everybody had to make adjustments, even down to our individual drills, which is the drills we do like just as a position group. Coach Fick had these two drills that we did every day regardless, but every drill it seemed like after that was so different than what we had done before so he could teach us the new techniques and implement the new scheme. Um, So from that regard, there was an intensity to make sure that we weren't behind the eight ball. On the flip side of that, there was this uh, anxiety to get back on the field so we could right our wrongs from the year before and, and we could start to build football skill because everything had just been marinating in the weight room. It was, it was basically just us in the weight room trying to figure out, okay, like this is, we're getting stronger. We're getting faster. We're getting more competitive as a team. But you know, after eight or nine weeks of doing that, 10 weeks of doing that, you're like, okay, football, football time. I I ain't come here to, to be a power lifter. I came here to play football. Let me hit somebody type of situation. And so there was all of that emotion that was tied to it as well. Well, given the way that 2013 ended and the coaching turnover, the media seems to me to be a little bit more interested in this spring than in years past. And according to landgrantholyland.com, say that five times fast, (laughs) there are lots of questions to be answered this spring, including new defensive coaches, finding a backup to Braxton Miller, a new starting running back as Carlos Hyde has moved on to the NFL, 
a new offensive line and some key position battles. Never a dull moment, huh? Mm-hmm. Speaking of key position battles, for the purposes of discussion, let's take a second and just focus on three of these battles in particular. First, Evan, wide receivers. And with, the Corey, Brown, and with Corey Brown graduating, receivers coach Zach Smith told the Lantern that he's very excited about this group, but there are no starters at wide receiver. Yeah. Quote, there is no spot guaranteed. Evan, is this normal to not name or have a set of starting receivers going into spring practice? Probably more normal than most would think because of this. You know, I would say that we were working to solidify our X my entire junior year and Philly Brown had the H bar none, like no questions asked. Right. Yep. So Dontre or yep. Jalen or any of that, it just wasn't even a question. Philly was going to be the guy at H and in our offense, the X and H are, are the guys like, you know, those two are the folks that are, are highlighted in, in, in the deal. So then when Philly leaves and we still kind of had some question marks around the X the entire year, it was a very much of a, a, of a blank slate scenario, right? Like I played Z predominantly. I didn't really start playing um, inside and slot much until I got to the league, which I did it earlier, but at the end of the day, you know, is what it is. So since that's the case, blank slate, let's see which athletes work best in each different scenario. And that's why I say it's, it's probably not as, weird as most would seem because naturally the receivers are being flipped and flopped and matched around just to get good matchups as it is very normally. So, you know, it's just more or less about who's going to make plays and who's going to step up to a challenge really. Now, now let me jump in on this. So the one thing I hate is when coaches are like, Oh, we don't have any starters. Right. Oh really? So when we get to the end of practice and we're going ones on ones, who's going to run out there? Exactly. Right, right. Who, who's running out there? Cause you got to have some starters in. Sure, sure. And so like, I, I get it and it, it builds a mentality, but I think, this is my point of saying that guys in the locker room start to see who's really emerging. Oh, yeah. And we start to know, like we can, we can watch the winter workouts and we can say, all right, this guy's going to be starting this fall. And we're typically pretty spot on. Now the coaches, they have to go through and they have to make all the evaluations players recognize. They know. Okay. Well, let's talk about you uh, linebackers. There's some competition going on and Joshua, I assume that unlike what Zach Smith said, the linebackers have you as a returning starter, after all, you're the leading returning tackler with 62 tackles from 2013. But it looks like Darren Lee and Trey Johnson are battling on one side, and Curtis Grant and Raquan McMillan are battling on the other. What are you seeing in these battles and anything that you can share? Yeah, so um, I actually, I think it was Darren and Chris Worley that were battling it out for that Sam linebacker spot. Uh, Chris is a guy from Glenville. Darren Lee is a guy from New Albany. Couldn't have uh, two more different communities to come from battling for that spot. Um, both great athletes though. And Darren, the thing with Darren though, is, is there's not another athlete that we had on the team like him. It was, it was like Ryan left and then we had a guy who could do things like Ryan could do. And it was the perfect fit, but Darren had to overcome, uh, mental roadblocks. Like he had to get out of his own way at times. Cause like every time it felt like Darren would take a couple steps forward, he would, miss a class or he would be late to a meeting or he would be underweight and it would give Chris Worley who was a good player but not as good as Darren an opportunity but Darren really showed that separation like anytime it was time to go out there and play ball um, Curtis and Raekwon was always the interesting one because uh, Curtis was gaining everybody's respect he was turning over a new leaf and, and quite honestly he looked like a better player he was less stiff he looked a little bit more explosive he was always strong um, and he always knew football, but Raekwon is a five-star player who came into OSU 
who looked like he was ready to play linebacker from day one on campus. So in the back of our minds, we we knew that there was no way that guy wasn't going to be on the field. So it was really interesting um, being a part of that. But that spring was huge for our linebacker group because, you know, 62 tackles coming back is not a, a big number for a linebacker. You know, linebackers are doing 100 plus 62 is for the safeties like, you, you know. And so we had a ton to prove to everybody else. Are you guys actually going to be a good group? Or are you going to be that same old, you know, not dependable outside of Ryan Shazier that you were before? I can't put my specific finger on it, but I do remember Urban calling out the linebackers multiple times yeah. the year before saying, where's the silver bullets, silver bullets? You we know? didn't exist. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it started back in, in, in 2012. We, we brought Zach Bourne over to play linebacker. He was a fullback. But it was because a guy like me who was a freshman was not ready to play college football. And then we had other veteran guys who were banged up and some guys just weren't ready. 2013 comes around. We take like a half a step. But, you know, Curtis isn't panning out the way that we wanted to. I'm still coming along like by the back half of the year I was getting there. But at the beginning of the year, I wasn't. Ryan was really the only guy. And so, yeah, there were a lot of questions between 2012 and 2013. And we had to answer them in 2014. Well, last something I think all fans were both curious and a little concerned with. And that's the competition to be Braxton Miller's backup. And first things first, we know he was coming off shoulder surgery from an injury sustained in the Orange Bowl. And Devin Smith said he's around the team telling the Lantern, quote, he talks to us every day now and then in the locker room and helping us with coverages. He's not as involved with us as he is with the quarterback, but he does help, end quote. What are you guys seeing with Braxton Miller in the spring as he recovers from his shoulder injury? I mean, Evan, you're probably doing some rehab in the yeah. same area. Yeah. How, how's he doing? So, I mean, we're working with the same rehab specialist. Kristen was awesome. She was taking care of both of us. So there's always those kind of conversations in between things and, you know, he and I always tried to do a job to keep it off of football because of how obvious and stressful it was. You know, obviously we don't need to sit there and belabor any points. But, you know, I, I do distinctly remember him being around in the quarterback rooms, much more specifically from like a education and a mentor perspective than he had ever been in the past. Right. Like before then, it was very much, hey, immerse Braxton, make sure he's comfortable and understands top to bottom. And then it flipped on its head like, hey, dude, we're still dependent on you. But share all that knowledge that you that, that we just devoted so much time energy and effort into because we don't you know football is football right like you, you know you got dumped on your head against Purdue two years ago we actually have this surgery now like who knows what could happen right and and I think that you know for him it was it was some emotional growth and development for him to you know swallow that pill hey I'm not here okay well whatever I can still help and that's what he was trying to do. Well, keeping in mind who knows what can happen, the battle be the battle to be his backup between eventual starter JT Barrett and Cardell Jones. And Joshua, this battle is interesting to me because this past fall, you said on your podcast that a little known fact about spring 2014 was that Cardell, not JT, emerged from the spring camp as the back as a backup to Braxton, correct? Yes. And, and that was a conversation I had uh, when I had Cardell on the show, but you know, we were, we were just talking about his progression and, and really how he came to be what he was. And he was the guy. And, and there were so many things that he could do with the physical talent. I just I personally believe that there were still questions about his maturity, whether or not those are fair or up for debate. And then when you talk about the offense and Evan can explain this a little bit better, that Ohio State wants to run like the, the thing that we wanted to do. JT Barrett's skill set opened up that playbook in a way 
that was different than what Cardale could offer us. I, I truly don't believe that our offensive staff believed that Cardale would be able to provide the versatility that they were looking for. And so even though he might've had the better spring, there were still questions about how are we going to make this work in the fall? Do we want to roll with this guy who might have a, a more live arm? He's taking the steps. Or are we going to go with the guy who fits the mold of the quarterback that we've had in this system before? Right. And the decision makes sense, too. Like, think about it. The year prior, what, 59-some-odd points against um, Indiana. And there, that wasn't the only 50-point game that we had had that season. So, right. again, that model worked. And I think the predictable play was to allow, okay, well, he's a leader. He's almost there from an arm strength perspective. Yeah. But gosh darn it, we can depend on him in these type of scenarios because we know his play style or his play style. And, you know, I'm sure that 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 led into a lot of the decision, right? Trying to make the most calculated, best um, or informed decision as possible with what we had done in the past. Well, on to something pretty cool. According to FoxSports.com, in the middle of spring practice on March 22nd, to be specific, Marcus Luttrell speaks to the team after practice. And for those who aren't familiar, Marcus Luttrell is a former Navy SEAL who's the author of the book Lone Survivor, which is a first-person account of a team of Navy SEALs who are overrun by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And it's truly one of the great stories of both brotherhood and survival. I read the book, and it's amazing. But this is interesting to me because you guys have said off-air that Coach Meyer doesn't really believe in speakers addressing the team that often. What was this like and what was your recollections of the conversation? Yeah, I mean, this was one of the first moments in my life that I really truly started to understand what leadership looked like, right? Like, you know, before then it's like, oh yeah, okay, well, I'll try to do the right things and somebody else behind me is going to follow. But like to look a man in his eyes who is wired different, like mm -hmm. I, I don't know how better to communicate this in audio format. Like you can just see the man and say, you know what, like... I have nothing but respect for you because I, I, I know the pain and struggle and thank you for fighting for all of our freedoms. But then you start thinking about the story and you're like, holy cow, wait, it was him and his boys versus death and, you know, destruction coming at him and the decisions that he had to make then in that environment, right? When like real bullets can really kill you and then to watch some of his guys perish, right? And to throw himself over a, over a mountain and then to do it again, just to get out and get home and, and to try to save some of his guys that he thought maybe were still kicking, like, you know, and then you, you come talk to a group of, of men who have guys heard and it's football and it's physical or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just about will give a shit factor and going out there and competing for one another and not yourself. Right. And then you start understanding like, damn, okay, well now this leadership concept really has come full circle. I understand it now and I want to apply it. And that was the first time for me that I had seen something that real as it relates to leaders. Did he explain the scenario to you about what he was going through over there? Or was it more along like leadership traits and stuff <sighs> like that? Do you remember? That's we, so I, I think it was, it was a leadership conversation and then it got into some questions yeah. of like, okay, well we want to know. And I actually, uh, where I trained for the draft um, is where he was doing some of his rehab and so I would see Marcus Luttrell there, you know, three or four times a week with his dog. And we would get to talk to him and ask him questions and just kind of be normal around him. And each time I spoke to him, I felt like I learned a ton. Each time I spoke to him, I felt like he was looking right through me. He's, he's just different. That's the best way to describe it. Like 
And he was looking me right in the eye, showing me respect, but he was looking right through me. He's just different. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many speakers you guys didn't, like I said, Urban doesn't have that many. Yeah, we have. probably count on your one hand. Timmy Tebow. I was was wondering if we were going to toss that. His all-time favorite. I liked the first better than the second. We had Timmy Tebow. Yeah, Yeah, that was really it. That one was interesting. LeBron a couple times. Yeah, LeBron. LeBron. That was was cool. Yeah, Yeah. that was really cool. That was fitting. That one made sense that, you know, whatever. Don't get into it. Well, yeah, another show. Yeah. So to close our loop on spring practice, do you guys have meetings with the coaches and or Urban before you head out for what I would say the summer? But we'll get into what that summer entails. Any recollections, if you did, what's the tone of that meeting? You mean our performance review? End of quarter performance review? No. (laughs) That's what it felt like. It is Uh, what it was. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so after every spring, we had what was a checkout meeting or something thereof. And essentially, it was just like, you know, hey, your position coach and Coach Meyer would both sit down with a checklist in front of them yep. and say, hey, here's where I think you're deficient. <laughs> Deficiencies started first, trust and believe that. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you work your way into, okay, these things are going well. You know, you got to keep doing this. You got to bring more guys along with you. We need more effort out of you and, you know, I don't know, the weight room or mat drills or something like that. But it's very particular on, hey, we're going to check out here for a little while because spring's now done work on these deficiencies that I very bluntly and very directly just told you to your face. (laughs) So that was kind of the deal. And what Evan said with the checklist, I think that's the important part because we talk about the evaluations all the time. So it's, it's written there on a piece of paper for you to see it's tangible. You can touch it, but there were two columns and there was one for the head duck. And then there was one for your position coach and they would, you know, uh, accountability, punctuality, like all kind of different stuff. And then, you know, on the football field, you know, accountability, toughness, physicality, all these different types of things. Right. And so your position coach would say, okay, uh, for toughness, I'm going to put you down as a four. And then urban would say a four, you're not a four, you're barely a two. And so he'd put you down for a two. And then he would go walk down to your position coach's office and be like, if you think he's a four, then you don't need to be coaching here because you don't know how to evaluate players. <laughs> and so it became an evaluation on the coaches as well, which it wasn't to get that coach to necessarily back off of what they put on the sheet. It was to force that coach to defend why they felt that way. And then Urban would say, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong in my evaluation. I'll go back and look at the tape. But it was like top to bottom. They weren't just evaluating us. He was evaluating his position coaches and low key, the position coaches were evaluating what coach put down on the sheet too, yeah. to see where they were different. Evaluation heavy yeah, goes yeah, to the assistant go. coaches as well. Top yep. to bottom. Wow. Trainers as well. Don't don't get it twisted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trainers too. Yeah. <laughs> you, say you get the uh, you get the training room score. Sweeney and Doug yeah, might have some bad grades. Love you guys, but it's what it is. Sammy Silverman, I want to read your evaluation. Sammy Silverman's getting probably all 10. He got all A's. He's an A-plus dude. I'll give it to him. Before we carry on, a quick word to potential advertisers. We're looking to get your spot in our show. Glory Days podcast can help you reach fans that want what you're selling. And not just Ohio State fans, but college football fans around the country. That's right. And there's a variety of ways that you guys can advertise with us. Just ask and we'll help you find what you need. And look, if you don't know what you want to do, we can even help you create your own commercial. If you'd like to become a Glory Days partner, drop us a line at info at glorydays.media. That's info at glorydays.media. For you two, what are you guys doing during the summer? I asked because I saw during training days on ESPN, 
Going then to in Kenny 2011, Chesney concerts with 14 why, why racks of beer? Why are you setting us like this? No, you're setting us up. What are well, we doing no, here I, this summer? I know what you guys are doing. <laughs> I saw that thing. But, fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, in terms of training, because you, yeah. you're, you're probably not going back to Chicago. No. You're no, not. No, no, okay. No. You, you, you have to be here, but you don't have to be here. Right. I mean, honestly, that was, and, and sorry to be a nerd here for a little bit, but that was the only reason I graduated early is because everybody else wanted to go take basket weaving and all this other, you know, jack off stuff in the summer. But I took my econ classes. Yep. Sure. Because we had to be there. You couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah, so I mean, if you're going to be there, why are you going to exactly. waste your time? Why are you wasting yeah. your time? I don't yeah. give a fuck about weaving a basket. <laughs> I want to graduate early. But, but is the summer, how's the summer schedule in terms of like, you know, Shit. are you still. Wait, you got to be in the yep. weight room yeah. five so days a week? It's, I mean, you know, you Monday, discretionary, non-discretionary workouts. Yeah. You know, Monday, lift, and then we had a team run. Tuesday, lift. Wednesday, we had an early morning run, typically. Thursday, we had a uh, a lift and then the stadium run, which was mm-hmm. miserable. Mm-hmm. Did somebody fall and get fucked up on the stadium run? I can't remember. Stadium runs were just, they were trash. And we changed up the way that we did it. Like, there was... Um, before it used to be just like, you know, we ran 15 half gassers or whatever. And then they changed it up to be a little bit more equitable where the, uh, the skill guys like Evan wide receivers, DBs, they ran, uh, more half gassers, which is down and back across the width of the field. So that 53 and a third and I back liked that better though. Cause it was yeah. the net time, right? Yes, That's what it you're was. Talking about? And yeah, then, yeah. um, and so it would be like, they would break it up if we had 15, you know, what would you guys run? You yeah, guys would run we uh, had to be nine so down and, and back six. Yeah, we were like 12, yeah. around 12-ish. And that was like the time that we all had to come in and then they'd go to they'd go big skill, big skill, and then the, yep. the line. And so what would happen is like they would, they would have to run nine half gassers and uh, 653s, if my math is correct on that. And then we would have to run um, – Seven half gassers and eight fifty threes is big skills, and then the fat boys only had to run six half gassers, and they would run nine fifty threes. And then, so what that did was like once the fat boys. No, I should not do this, but that's it is what, what it is. We call them slobs. Big boys. I mean, it is, it is. But once once the big guys were done with their um, with their half gassers, then all of our rest time became shorter, and, oh, and so yeah, like yeah. as you go down the line, so yeah. these guys are. Booking Dude, it. We were running a, a, a half gasser, and then they would run a 53, which is just down. We would run a 53, which is just across the field, and they're back up again. Right. They still have, like, two right. more half gassers. But he would start dying. it off so that we would we were all starting with fools. Yes. And then it would, like, progressively get worse. Yes. From there. And so that was for time, and each time out, you would have to beat your old time, or yep. else there would be a punishment yep. there. Um, we did drills beforehand as well. We would run 60-yard yep. shuttles. Um, the hottest point in the day as well on in, in the hottest time of the year in Columbus was we were when we were doing stadium, stadium runs. Yep. So. And, the, and the coldest time is when Irving when, comes. When we were getting our ass kicked yeah. on the practice field. And then, Might as well have been a stadium run. We had those little uh, uh, weekend warm-up Friday workouts yeah. that Evan was talking about. Yeah. So the point, I, the point I want to make, uh, all due respect to my good friend Brad Bertani, there really isn't any time off. Yeah, I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not going to get Brad in trouble. Though. I know, no, yes. no, I'm just saying, you know, yes, there was plenty of time off. We all made a, a decision yeah. under our own free will uh, okay. to be on campus that whole time. There was no coercion. There yeah. was there was no threat of anything. None. We just decided we liked it That's so what I'm much. We're, yeah. we're very it is very transparent about what you know what drove excellence, right, or, yeah. or what excellence took essentially on the football field, and it was much more than what was allotted to you. 
again, that big sigh you hear from about five blocks down <laughs> is Brad saying, oh, thank you guys. But we all Didn't made the decisions trouble. to go get yeah. our work. Don't yeah. worry. Oh, no, Brad owes us, so. No, he's got yeah. an envelope for you. Yeah. Well, right. he can do that now. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking backwards. He does, I got an address for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> Forward my checks, too. I oh. swear. <laughs> we hit you with a P.O. box. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Non-taxable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, from this point, we're going to jump right into fall practice and looking at the schedule for you guys, this really looked like it had the potential and you're going to say yes to be a grind. 18 days from August 4th to August 23rd and six of those days are going to be two a day practices. Guys, those again, those look like tough days. How much of a mental grind is fall practice? Those two days are real. The stretching on the second, I mean, no, I'm not. My dad's laughing at me as I say. Yeah, I know because he's running three a days exactly, back then. Yeah. Exactly, but no, I mean I just say <laughs> the place where you are mentally as you're warming up for the second practice is a dark is a dark place, and I'll, it really <laughs> determines what that second practice is going to be yeah. like too. Because every once in a while, to your point, like you can muster up a little bit of positivity and energy during the warm up for that second practice, and it's like, man, this really ain't so bad. But if you come out there, you got blisters on your feet. And you, your knees are sore from the earlier practice, or your shoulder, or whatever. Yeah. No, but and coaches are t- like asking you questions, and you're really just like sitting there staring at the ceiling because you're or staring at the clouds. You're like, Fuck. I know. Well, and that's going to take three hours. Yep. It's going to be miserable. And that's and Luke it is hot. And this this practice field that we're on, like I can't step the wrong way because there's holes in it. Yeah. Like we're practicing basically on freaking asphalt. Yeah. <laughs> they're like Ackerman dropping field. They're dropping shit sand like, in there <laughs> to like fill in the holes. Luke Fickle. RIP Ackerman field. RIP parking lot now. Right. You know, they got that money. They got to build Yo, buildings and stuff. You they got a couple of M's on that parking lot. Now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Luke Fickle used to kill me though during the warm up because he'd be like, fuck, are you tired? I'm like, coach, don't do this right now. <laughs> like, I got six kids. I'm not coach. Stop. I don't care. I, I, I really yeah. like, I love your kid. I don't care. Yeah, right. I'm tired. Right. Well, when, not naming names. Did you see anybody break? You see anybody be like, ah. every freshman. Yeah. I'm not just saying. Okay. Everybody has, yeah. has their moment. There's no okay. doubt. Okay. Well, for those who are new to the program, Ohio state does have some interesting traditions that help <laughs> freshmen acclimate to the program. And one of these is the black stripe program. And according to 11 warriors on August 10th, Six days into fall camp, Raekwon McMillan and Curtis Samuel are the first freshmen of 2014 to lose their black stripes. Can you guys talk a little bit about the tradition, what it is of the black stripe? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, right, I mean, some teams do it different, like earn your jersey. I saw that at Pitt or something like that. But eventually it's like, hey, you know, we recruited you. We basically kissed your ass for the entire time that you were in, in, in high school. Now, now shit's real. Now you're playing with some grown men. Figure out a way to earn your spot here. You know, like at the end of the day, like earn that scarlet helmet that you have on. And and to do that, you got to get the black stripe off. So whether that's Curtis Samuel coming downhill and hitting a linebacker as hard as I've ever seen a running back hit a linebacker. Remember that was an mm-hmm. indoor. He hit oh, yeah. Long. He killed him, too. Oh, yeah. My. No, I swear Immediately to God. Immediately black, yeah. black stripe removed. I, I thought Raekwon died. I thought, like, it was sec. one of the biggest for collisions I've ever seen. And I'm like, like oh. Raekwon got up and everything. But, I mean, he put that man into the dirt. Both of those guys are good. We, we like them. Like, yeah. Take their stripes off. That's the scenario. But, you know, again, not to say that you had to go smash your face into somebody to get it off. But for the older guys to see that level of buy-in, it, it allows us to see that like, okay, well they've put the whole ego thing of they were the man behind them and they're really, you know, giving it for the team. And, and essentially that's what we're looking for, for the young guy. Yeah. 
Well, and Curtis Samuels from Brooklyn. That's how they do it there, man. I guess I'm telling so. you. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, as, as some chests are beating in the background. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. Um, Evan, you're a sophomore when Urban arrived, so yeah. you didn't have to wear one, right? No, I did okay. not. Mm-mm. However, Joshua, you said you had an interesting experience with your black stripe. You want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I couldn't get it off in training camp, so I had to, had to wait a little while uh, into the season, a couple of weeks before I was able to get my black stripe off. Um, and by that point, there are veteran players that are looking at you like, you may never be one of us because you don't have your stripe off yet. And I wasn't the last, thankfully. Um, but I definitely wasn't the first. And um, it goes back again to the evaluation, right? Because now you know every rep you're taking is going to be evaluated to see if you're worthy of getting the stripe off. And then your teammates are going to evaluate your your worth to the team based off of whether you have a stripe or not or how long it takes. Um, but it's it's like one of those little dumb things where if you're not necessarily a part of it, you don't think it's that big of a deal. It's it's a huge deal. Like we used to watch Ryan Stamper come into the team meeting room during training camp for like the evening meeting and he would have a couple of helmets in his hand and you would try to get a peek at the number that was on the back of the helmet so you could see who it was. But he would put him down behind the podium and then there would be the the stripe ceremony and your big brother comes and they rip the stripe off. This is if they don't do it right there on the field. Um, He would call guys up on the field, too, and the big brother rips the stripe and everything. Man, that cool. a, that's a lot of pressure for a 17-year-old. Well, yeah, that's it is point. a lot of pressure. Listen, I know, hey, I know. So if you don't so want the running, pressure, it's always running a slant against Penn that's State what I was when you need it on third right. down. You if you don't I mean? want the pressure, then you know you don't you, come you, to Ohio State. Yeah, right? you yeah. go and, and right. be a dookie. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember what it specifically was for you that helped you get it removed? It was a hit like you just you know like the Curtis Samuel thing. Or no, I, I think they decided that it was time. Like I, I was a, a core special teamer my freshman year. And I think they had planned. Yes. No, I was. But I think they had watched enough reps of me and watched my technique progress to the point where they're like, okay, he's bought into this. So it wasn't any one thing. I think it was just like an accumulation of the work that I had done. Well, let's close today's conversation on a difficult subject, you know, but one that's a key part of the overall narrative of this team. And of course, we're going to be referencing the season ending injury to the two time Big Ten MVP, team captain, and quarterback. Braxton Miller. A major blow for Buckeye football tonight. Senior quarterback and Heisman candidate Braxton Miller will miss all of the 2014 season with a shoulder injury. And now Ohio State has confirmed that injury will require surgery. And the first thing I want to reference is the fact that a mere two days before Braxton would be lost for the season. And I have to tell you, from a fan's perspective, I noticed and I almost missed a little blurb in the Columbus Dispatch that starts that states that JT Barrett moved ahead of Cardell Jones on the quarterback depth chart. And to explain the reasoning, offensive coordinator Tom Herman tells USA Today, again, here's a truncated quote, the offense moves better when Barrett is in there, and you can throw all the completion percentages and everything else in there too. He's completing more balls and making more of the right reads in the passing game and more of the right reads in the running game. The offense moves more frequently when JT is the quarterback, and that's the sign of a good one, end quote. For you two, did you see a noticeable difference in the way the team responded when JT was in there versus Cardell? This is probably a better question for you because I've got some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we did. I'd say, like, naturally because we, I don't know, we're definitely used to Braxton's playing style, so we knew how to rely on the quarterback as it relates to, like, on the ground, the, the ground game, and, and, and how that could get us out of situations, right? So a level of comfort, for sure. 
um, you know, third in, or second in off schedule. So nine, 10, eight yards, right? We felt really comfortable putting the ball in JT's hands because he was smart enough to not really make too many bad decisions and mistakes, but also athletic enough to give us four if we needed it so that we could get back on schedule for third down. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons, you know, again, like Coach Herman was like, hey, no, th- th- this is why we're moving better and, and he needs to be there. Yeah. Um, I say I, I, I want to say this to make sure that I'm not disparaging JT because obviously great quarterback. I think he did some really good things and he used to give us fits, but I think it's it was definitely a comfort level thing because uh, of what the offense was meant to do. And and so the way that JT really gave us fits was his ability to run the ball and his toughness in doing so. It was his ability to make the decision to get the ball out quick to the athletes on the edges and, um, you know, kind of do it like that is a little bit more efficient when it came down to that. But the thing that we always saw on defense was Cardale hurt us in ways that were just super challenging. Why? Because he was a bulldozer. So if he was going to run the ball, you couldn't tackle him. Why? Because if he was live and, and you're trying to sack him, yeah, you can't, you can't, you have to tackle his arm because you can't tackle his body. He's so big and his arm is so strong. He can still complete the pass. And then the thing that Cardale did, which gave us fits to no end is Duran Grant. You think he's in coverage on Devin Smith down the field and Cardale drops a bomb right in the bread basket. You, you can't defend against it. And so on defense, we saw it both ways to where Cardale, it seemed like, had the bigger boom potential in terms of making some of the plays. But when you look at the way that our offense, like the paradigm that our offense ran, um, it was JT all the way. He, he did the things that were supposed to be done. And he did them better. Wow. Well, unfortunately, let's get to the injury. And I have to say, again, from a fan's perspective, from New York of all places, I paid a lot of attention to Braxton's progress. I think we all did. And to start this off, I kept seeing the aforementioned blurbs in the dispatch saying that Braxton didn't practice or was limited. In in fact, here's what the dispatch wrote in the morning of the injury prior to it. Braxton Miller, who had surgery in February, and the coaching staff maintain he's 100% and that it's all part of a plan to ease him back into the swing of things after spending spring ball in a sling, end quote. And I think they were saying this because people were getting the impression, exterior people, that his recovery was taking a little bit longer than expected or he wasn't full go in practice. But Evan, in some of our prep meetings, you said it was kind of the opposite, right? He, you and he discussed the fact that he was throwing the ball a lot, maybe too much, yeah. right? So, I mean, the conversation that I had with Braxton, um, especially like as it relates back to like that fall camp, he was in a sling all spring, so he couldn't do any of that. And that wasn't part of his rehab routine at all. But once he did, like, once it was time to tune it back up, put some shoulder pads on, put the helmet back on, you know, I remember the first day um, him saying that he was surprised of how involved he was from just like throwing around some deeper routes, you know, some short on-time routes. I got to be there with speed. And again, I don't know how much of that was quarterback pressure, Coach Meyer pressure, offense, defense pressure, or his own. Um, but I do vividly remember him thinking that, like, listen, like, I'm kind of sore as shit from that one. Like, that probably wasn't the smartest, right? And and I think then we tried to maintain it. He communicated that then afterwards. And then it was just, okay, this is going to be something that we're going to have to maintain a little bit here because he did have surgery, and it's it's going to be a slower process than we think. Internally, we saw that, but we were still trying to, like, get him in the groove of things again. And I, I guess we as relative, because I <laughs> 
put myself in that category. But, uh, you know, folks were because whether it was chemistry, wanting to see him back at it or believing that he was entirely fixed and it couldn't re-rupture and, you know, come back out like it did, um, you know, thought he was ready to go. And unfortunately, he wasn't. Well, here's Urban's description of the injury from his book, Above the Line, quote, Braxton stepped up and threw a seven yard out. And the next sound I heard was a loud, piercing shriek of pain. It's the worst sound you can ever hear on a football field. Braxton was on the ground, obviously hurting badly. It came out again, he said through gritted teeth. I can't believe it. It's out again, end quote. Fellas, you're both in different locations on the field, but I think you both said it was offense one versus defense number twos. Can you both at separate times describe the scene for us and tell us what's running through your mind when this happens? I, I mean, I had just come because the receivers we rotate a ton and I had just come off the field. So I'm, you know, helmet on the ground looking up and just horror, right? Like, and, and like, you know, you hear Braxton on the ground yelling or whatever the words that shriek, like, like, you know, you just saw your dog run over by a car. You see, you know, somebody took your mom and you like, like just absolute horror was what I heard. And we all heard it and we're like, holy shit, that's you know, done. Like we, we immediately knew that it was all, you know, he's, he's done. He's, he's not coming back. And I still get goosebumps. Cause I'm like, we all knew the emotional toll that was going to come from that as well. Right. Because it was obvious what he just battled through. It's out again. Holy shit. I can't believe it. It's out again. Like to be his best friend and hear him say that on the football field after he may or may not have been throwing too much, or he may or may not been trying to come back too soon. Like, Shit, I, I came in the same time as you, bro. Like, we didn't get to go win. I, like, I want to go win a Big Ten championship with you as my quarterback. Like, we were shit talking about, you know, over Madden or over NCAA in the dorms about how we were going to go do it. And now that's taken from you. Like, this is my last year. Like, I'm not going to be able to now be with you. Like, all like in a moment, all of these thoughts rush through. And it's it's horrible. Joshua, it how about you? It's it's wild because um, I was on the sideline as well because the the twos for defense were out there and so when you're on the sideline like you're you're watching what's going on you're trying to pay attention you're trying to make sure you can get the mental rep but like you know you're you're still talking to the guys on the sideline and so typically what a play would look like is you know we're we're getting the call we're talking about what's going on I'm I'm looking at my other guys kind of back and forth and then we're we're watching. And typically quarterback will throw the ball and we'll just follow the ball just to see what happens downfield. And you look and then you look back because you heard the shriek. And then you kind of like look over at whoever's on your side and you look on the other side and you're like, oh, shit. You just kind of like think it happened again. And that that was sobering for us because we're we're making plans like we got our guy back. We felt like he was looking good. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well. You know, it's hard to win division one football games without a starting quarterback. Sure. Um, and then the other thoughts, like the, you know, the the less selfish thoughts start to come to your mind. Like, boy, that guy worked really hard to get back and now he's not going to be with us. Like, man, like his time is running out. And what is he going to do? And here's a guy who had Heisman potential. Here's a guy who was a big 10 player of the year. Like, ooh, it's a bad situation. Um, and I can't remember, but typically in practice, uh, the coaches will like take the ball and they'll move it up 20 yards and we'll continue practice. And that was one of those situations. I can't remember if we did or not, but I'm sure it didn't last very long if we did because nobody's trying to practice after that. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's too it's big call of him, a call him up type of scenario. Yeah, it's, it's too big a part of your team. Even, even if he was okay, like 
you're not in a mental state to be able to digest that and have a productive practice. So does immediately afterward, does Urban address the team? I mean, I'm sure you guys are walking around in a little bit of a haze. Yeah. Yeah. Again, well, shock no level has to it. be unbelievable. Yeah. But I mean, like, we all knew that immediately that he was, I mean, we were playing in two weeks. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no way that he's. And the shriek was that bad. Yeah, that, he, knew that was the season. We just knew him. he wasn't right. Yeah. Okay. It was like, I, to this day, am currently still getting, it, it, it was terrifying. Like absolutely terrifying. The pain that you heard him like asking, come get me, come get, like, come yeah. get me. Like what? And that's crazy. And the, the, the question really does become like the physical pain is obvious there, but like how much of that was the mental anguish of feeling like you just, you climbed up a mountain to like fall right back down. Like I, that for me, that would be enough to, to shriek right. just like having to deal with that mentally, let alone the actual physical pain that you, yeah, I was going to say, my goodness, that deafening silence you heard on August 18th, 2014, was Ohio State fans just stopping yeah, in their tracks. Yeah, there's no doubt. It was all of us. Well, now it's up to JT Barrett to assume the quarterback role. And as you guys have said before, it's up to everyone on the team to step up and decide what kind of team do you want to be. And as we go through this content series, everyone is going to see how the Buckeyes respond in glorious fashion. Fellas, I think we've covered a lot of ground today, and I think this might be as good a place of any to stop. To you know, any anything we might have missed. Goodness, in this, I don't know. I, I, covered I, a lot. I, I really don't. I mean, we we covered so much and so many important things from Braxton and and in the stage that that set for a bunch of seniors who were trying to lead a bunch of young men who wanted to learn how to win. Right. Right. We obviously learned how to win in the regular season, but the important ones at the end of the season. Um, I mean, we covered so much of the importance of that, the leadership, the training behind it. I mean, I, I think we did a really good job. Yeah, I feel like this episode kind of ends on this feeling that is um, a little bit mysterious, maybe uh, not maybe very somber and maybe a little bit unfulfilled because you want to figure out what's next and how do you move forward. Uh, and I think that's really appropriate because that's exactly how we felt walking off the practice field that day. Um, it was it was it blindsided us. And I think it really changed the chemistry of the team um, in such a tangible way, all in, all in a matter of a couple seconds. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell. Hi, y'all. It's Evan. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod, on Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod, and like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Right, we we, I mean, we, we, we wanted that shit. That, that's yeah. sweet. That, you know, come on, pitch, you know, uh, yeah. uh, shut out, whatever, pitch a shut out, whatever it is. Yeah, get but, the uh, ball back. You, like, <laughs> yeah, offense, yeah. let's score more points. Like, yeah. get the ball back so 100%. those guys can take it back. Next episode, we kick the season off as Josh and I recount our first two games against Navy and Virginia Tech. I'll see you next time.